it's a mess and it's a journey and it's the most beautiful journey we'll ever do. Mm. And as we move through that, I think that naturally we gain compassion and appreciation for other people and on their journey, patience on their journey and appreciation and respect because we're like, man, this is hard work. Being a person is hard. Developing self-awareness is hard. Healing is hard. And just being a person in general is. I've learned more listening to podcasts than I learned in my two years of college. Right now is a great opportunity to leverage the power of voice. No one's going to be able to offer the world what you can. It took someone else that had a bigger vision than me to be able to show me the way. And so now that we're here, we can show others the way. What if you can do what you love to fight what you hate? Be On Air, powered by Podcast Farm. Hey, welcome, my friends. Welcome to another episode of Be On Air. So I was actually feeling extra nervous today because the person that I am interviewing is a seer. She is someone who has the ability not only to sit with you and see what you're going through, which is one of the best gifts that another human can give to another, but she has the ability to read the stars. And, you know, for those of you who do not believe in astrology, I challenge you to stick around, check out this wonderful person, check out what she has to say about it and, and you know, give it some thoughts. So after eight years of studying under world-respected astrology teachers, Christine Rodriguez completed the University of Vedic Astrology training and became a certified Vedic astrologer. She has a master's in social work, and she has years of experience working with refugees and survivors of trauma, abuse, and neglect. She's also studied the clinical foundations in Gottman Method Couples Therapy through the Gottman Institute, which is they're some of my most respected leaders in relationship knowledge. And she adds this to her impressive list of offerings for her clients. She truly works with you as a whole human, taking into consideration your spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical being to provide deep insight and actionable coaching. She's a master at holding space and listening to both the energetic and the explicit. I count myself fortunate to collaborate with her, and I'm so pleased to share her work with you all. So stick around. We're going to be speaking with Christine Rodriguez. Christine Rodriguez, welcome. Welcome. It's so good to have you. Thank you. Thank you for such a generous and kind introduction. I have so much respect and appreciation for you. So hearing that coming from you means a lot to me. And I really just hope that I can live up to that <laughs> amazing, generous introduction. Thank you so much, Kaylee. I'm I, absolutely. It's it's very much the truth, and I have no doubt that you uh, have already lived up to it. So you know, to to start off. You're an astrologer and you have the amazing podcast Astrology Now, which has amassed a dedicated following. You've been able to monetize it relatively quickly. And, you know, you, you have a flourishing coaching business around it. And so one thing that I would love to, to talk about right off the bat, and, and I want to get into your story and your journey with podcasting. But one thing I want to start with so that we lead with value for the listeners, because, you know, I respect your time, listeners, you're tuning in, maybe you're driving, maybe you're washing the dishes, who knows what you're doing. I want to I want to make sure we front load this episode with a little bit of value. And then we're going to go into the heart of the matter. And there's going to be so much deep value there as well. But Christine, what would you what would you recommend to someone considering starting a podcast or, or someone who's just started a podcast? What would you recommend to them so that they can uh, have confidence to put 
their workout because one thing that blocks a lot of podcasters is that self-confidence. It's imposter syndrome. It's fear of not being good enough. And yeah, do you have any insight on that? We're going to just start here. Yeah. And that's such like a, such a beautiful question. Um, something that I try to remind everybody is that no one will ever be able to do exactly what you're doing. No one's going to be able to offer the world what you can, like to the listener listening right here, right now with your unique experience and your unique perspective. There is no one else on the planet who can do things exactly the way that you do. And that's a beautiful offering and a beautiful gift to share your perspective and expand the consciousness and awareness of others by sharing what it is that you see and what it is um, that you value and how you interpret the world or whatever information it is you're wanting to share. And the other thing that I recommend is just to do it. I think I've had a lot of friends who have had podcast ideas and they get stuck on it and maybe they procrastinate with it or they feel like, like you mentioned, like they have imposter syndrome. They think that they don't actually have something to share. And podcasting is a service and it's also a passion project. You know, at least the way I perceive it is it's something that is done from the heart. It's something that can be done just for fun. So I think trying to take the edge off of being like, look, this is a service to the world. This is something that you are providing for free to people. And it's something that you love and it's something from the heart. And when you're doing something from the heart and something from a place of passion, you can't really go wrong. If you're coming from a place of service, you can't really go wrong. So I hope that that's helpful. That is so helpful. And it, you know, it reminds me of this quote, one person's ordinary is another's extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And something that you do every day that I do every day that we think is boring, someone else could find a tremendous amount of value from it. And I, and I love your point about just starting. I, I agree. Perfectionism kills podcasts. Perfectionism is the enemy of progress. And we have to just start. We have to just put, put it out. So with that, in mind, would you tell us a little bit about how you came to podcasting, how you decided to start your own platform? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I started the podcast because I love astrology and I like talking about astrology. <laughs> it's like not a profound story. I, I've just always loved astrology. And again, like you had mentioned at the beginning, I had been studying for quite some time. And I, I love talking about it and I love sharing it. And so I started the podcast simply because I wanted to share what I know. And I thought maybe someone somewhere could benefit. One of the main reasons was that I have been so fortunate in regards to teachers and coming into contact with teachers and then therefore having information. And so I was like, wow, there are people who may not have access to these teachers. You know, not everyone is going to have an astrology mentor just walk into their life. And so why don't I just share what I know? Because I've been so generously given to. So maybe um, for what it's worth, you know, I'm I'm still a student too. I'm still constantly learning as well. Um, but perhaps as I gain information and I share it, someone somewhere can benefit. It I did not start the podcast with the intention of having a business. I didn't start the podcast with the intention of being a full-time astrologer. <laughs> that all just kind of rolled with it. Um it really did just start off as as a passion project and doing something that I enjoy. So let's let's go farther back then. And how did you first find out about astrology? And how did how did that happen? How did how does one become a certified Vedic astrologer? Like, what is that even like? 
Yeah. And so everyone's story is going to be different and I'll share mine. And I actually love, I love talking about this because I feel that the universe was just very supportive of me studying astrology. Um, So I was born into a family where my mom, she wasn't an astrologer, but she, she's very interested in the esoteric and the metaphysical world. And so I was introduced to Western astrology at a very young age. And I still remember being gifted like my first astrology book on my Western sun sign. And I was like, this is really, really interesting. I want to learn more. And so even from a young age, I was like really trying to put the puzzle pieces together and understand. And then by the time I was in high school, I was like guessing people's sun signs. I know that's really common. I'm sure so many people listening to this can relate, like guessing people's sun signs really into it. And then I started going to therapy for the first time. And my therapist, when I was like 15 or 16, she realized that I loved astrology and she used astrology as a way to connect with me. Mm -hmm. And so she started bringing these Western astrology books to our session And she had books that would break it down like week for week. It wasn't just um, like the month. It was showing compatibility or showing personality qualities for a week within the year. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. We're getting onto something. It's getting more specific. I still don't feel like I have all the pieces yet, but you know, and like my mind started turning super, super into astrology. I moved to Austin and I started going to a yoga studio that was owned by my first astrology mentor. I saw that he was doing classes on Vedic astrology, took his course. And the first class, I was just like, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. Everything makes sense. Um, I started mentoring under him, started connecting with other astrologers. And then eventually I, I wanted to get certified because that's just the type of person that I am. I don't think everyone needs to be certified. There are so many phenomenal astrologers who are not certified. Same thing with, you know, teachers. Um, but for me, it was an alignment to get certified. Super amazing experience. So grateful that I did it. And uh, that's kind of where I am. I'm still working with mentors, though. I still think it's I think it's so important to always have teachers and to always be learning. We're never done. We're never done. Lifelong learner, for sure. That's a huge uh it's a it's a valuable skill it's a value i think actually to have that that always open mind and always learning and it it gets you ahead it gets you ahead in life because we're able to learn from anyone rather than only be able to learn from people that we deem uh you know smarter more intelligent farther along than our, than ourselves uh so could you briefly describe the difference between western and vedic astrology for our listeners because i know there's similarities, but there's some pretty huge differences. And and you got certified in Vedic astrology for, for those who have not heard of Vedic astrology, maybe you could break down the differences a little. Sure. Thanks. So there are a few major differences between Western and Vedic astrology. And one of them is that Western astrology is a solar based system. And so that means that the most important planet or one of the most important planets, what the system is based off of is the placement of the sun. And so this is important to take note of Vedic astrology is a lunar based system. That means that the most important planet is going to be the moon that we're paying attention to the most, one of the most influential planets and the sun transits one sign every month. So when the sun moves into a sign, it stays in that sign for a month. The moon stays in a sign for two and a half days. So even with that, I, I prefer it. Um, one, because I'm kind of partial to the moon and two, because it's giving a little bit more of a specific result. Someone who's born within a two and a half uh, day time 
is much more specific than someone who's born in a month because everyone born within, um, you know, 30 days is said to have the same qualities. Whereas with the moon, it's at least getting a little bit more specific to the two and a half days, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Um, awesome. Thanks. (laughs) I appreciate that. And the, the other major difference is that Western astrology is based on the seasons and the vernal equinox. So it, the way that it's calculated is going to be different than the way that Vedic sidereal astrology is calculated. Vedic astrology is based on the astronomical placement of the planets. So for example, today is April 15th, 2021 in Western astrology, the um, Saturn is said to be in the sign of Aquarius. Whereas if you download a star app, and you find the constellation of Capricorn in the sky, you'll see that Saturn is sitting astronomically in the sign of Capricorn. And so that's not to say that either of these systems are better or worse. Um, Western astrology has a lot of um, amazing and profound effects. I have teachers who like to use Western astrology. I have many friends who use Western astrology. It is going to be based, though, on the seasons, not based on the astronomical placement of the planets. And for me, when I when I learned that and I saw that, I really like to use the system that is following where the planets are literally in the sky. Right. And is it, is it accurate to say that Vedic astrology is maybe a older science? I would definitely say that. Yeah. Vedic astrology is incredibly traditional and it's also a part of a much larger system, you know, from ancient India. It's one of the main Vedantic practices that is also connected to things like Ayurveda and yoga. And so it's a part of a system of overall wellness and to increase our level of self-realization. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it gives a, a finer grain, more detailed view of the self and and this life and what we're going through. And I'm just anticipating that maybe there are some listeners who don't, they don't feel that there is scientific proof or they, they don't, they don't, they haven't seen the the effect of astrology on their life. Maybe it's because they're going off of Western. And so they're only working with a month long cycle, but yes. what would you say to someone like that? Well, this is actually really funny and it, it comes up for me quite a bit. Um, a lot of people don't know about Vedic astrology. And so when I explain it to them, they're like, I didn't even know this existed because one of the common ways to debunk Western astrology is the procession of the equinox. So when I say the procession of the equinox, what that means is that the way the sky relates to earth is shifting one degree every 72 years. So then people from NASA, people who are really into science are like, Hey, astrology isn't real because that's not where the planets are anymore. There's the procession of the equinox. No one is telling them, Hey, there's another system of astrology that accounts for that procession and it's Vedic sidereal astrology. And so I have had people, um, be kind of like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't realize that. So that is one thing to note is that it's going to be much more in alignment with the scientific placement that kind of appeals to people. And then the other thing is get a reading, you know, go to someone and have them predict things about your year or years to come. Look back, have somebody point out uh, major life events to you because using Vedic astrology, you will be able to see when big life shifts occurred or changes occurred. And it's pretty mind blowing. And there is no other way to explain that. If you sit down with someone who really knows what they're doing and they've spent a lot of time with the science and they say, hey, I know that you 
Um, maybe you had, maybe you lost your father this year. Maybe you got married this year. Maybe you decided to go to grad school this year. How else would somebody know that? You know, so the astrology is incredibly powerful. And I myself doubted astrology until I found Vedic astrology. I I wanted to learn more because I was like, maybe I can prove this wrong. Like if I keep finding enough information, maybe I can prove that this isn't right. And the more that I tried to do that, the more I found it was correct. So how, how does it benefit our life looking at these things, you know, predicting or, or getting more insight? Like what does that do for the average person who gets a reading? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that it can do a lot of things. And the first and the most superficial is just the entertainment and having validation in your personality and how you are and how you move throughout the world. Mm -hmm. And in a deeper way, Vedic astrology and these predictions, they can help you move with the natural flows of the universe. So for example, maybe someone decides to start a business at a period of time that isn't good for them starting a business, it's going to be like an uphill battle and it's going to be very strenuous when really at that point in time, maybe they should be focusing on their relationships. Mm -hmm. Maybe they should be focusing on spirituality where in two years, it's a great time to start a business. You know, it's a great time. So it helps you kind of align with the natural flows and collaborate with universal forces in a really positive, beneficial and productive way. And it can help you really avoid a lot of challenges, you know, because we can see when difficulties are coming. And when we see that difficulties are coming, we can start acting now to try to really mitigate any negative effect that we may see. And one of my favorite teachers is David Frawley. And this is a very controversial uh, belief, but David Frawley always says that we can change our karma. Karma is, um, it's essentially just saying there's an action and a result from that action. So we have the ability to act in such a way that we can change and influence our karma overall and reduce some of that negative effect if it's coming. Um, whereas if we're totally unaware of it and we're just moving through our life kind of blindly, we're just going to keep falling back into these maybe negative patterns or negative loops. Maybe there's something with our health. Vedic astrology can be really helpful in noticing things about our health as well for medical astrology. Um, there, there's a lot of really amazing things. Yeah. So just to reflect some of that back, I mean, it sounds Mm -hmm. like we get, we get validation about maybe challenges that we've overcome as well as our strengths and our attributes or qualities. We see that and it, it sort of gives language to that so we can under, understand ourselves sort of like the Enneagram, sort of like all these personality tests. It gives us an overlay so that we can understand ourselves, And then also it gives us this sort of preview or strategy of like, okay, here's, here's the, here's what's coming up. Here's the traffic report (laughs) of what's going to happen in my life. And if I can get some insight, I can make better behaviors. I can time my, my projects, my campaigns, my work, my relationships kind of in conjunction with that so that there is more effortlessness. There's more flow. Things work out better. Is that right? That's right. And can I, can I add to that as well? Yeah, please, please do. So, you know, I was trying to keep it a little bit more superficial for anyone listening who may um, be new to all of this or skeptical, but for the people who are listening, who are totally into the idea of like karma and (laughs) past and future lives and all of that, something that has been so profoundly helpful in my own life 
and and I've seen this be so transformative for other people as well, is being able to see the karmic influences. What karma we're meant to experience in this life. What area of our life we are supposed to be focusing on. What area of life we've completed in past lifetimes. So it's going to come easily to us. And the areas of life that are going to be challenging. You know, there are people who I have readings for and they come to me and they're like, I can't figure out my relationships. I don't understand. And I'm like, well, you you have a chart where relationships are going to be difficult because you're going to be learning these lessons about relationships, depending on the person, it may be different. But let's just use the example of discipline and commitment. Like you're supposed to learn the reality of being in a relationship. Relationships aren't supposed to be fun and romantic and light for you. It's going to teach you what it means to be loyal and dedicated and disciplined, you know? And then when people can start shifting their perspective in that way, they start bouncing from every relationship because they think it's not meeting their ideal. They start applying their discipline and dedication to it. So if you can see the blueprint of like the cosmos asking you, okay, you're supposed to be learning X, Y, and Z. You have it in your head. You, it helps you progress and excel in life. And I believe spiritually exponentially. Mm -hmm. Well said, well said. And uh, if you're listening to this and you, and you are vibing with the, with this karma talk, DM me on the podcast farm on Instagram with the word karma. I'll send you something cool. Um, so this is making me kind of think a little bit about your experience working with refugees, survivors mm -hmm. of, of extreme trauma. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're talking about karma. We're talking about how there can be these really heavy events in our life. There can be these really traumatic experiences and they're sort of predestined sometimes in our chart and, and it can be seen. Um, but grounding down into sort of the social aspect, the psychological aspect, you you had been working with survivors of torture uh, at a local nonprofit, right? And yes. so maybe you could talk a little bit about just that that human aspect now. So we've we've looked up at the stars, we looked at these maps, but then when you're on the ground and you're and you're hearing about these these really intense experiences, um, you, you're providing support, you're providing counseling to them. And that is very much the same skill in a sense as being an astrologer. You're providing support and counsel. So I'm curious how those two have related for you mm -hmm. and just maybe a little bit about your story with, with working with that organization. Yeah. So that was having that job and working with, with refugees and people who have survived the most extreme circumstances. It was incredibly humbling, I mean, that's really the first thing that I can think of is just the amount of humility that these individuals brought to me. And I think that another main thing that I learned from that experience is that spirituality and self-awareness and self-realization can show up in so many different ways. And I know this isn't necessarily in alignment with your question. And I'll get to that. I promise. This is great. But I think that we, we always associate, well, we don't always associate. I think that it's common to associate spirituality with looking a very specific way, especially with social media and, and Instagram, you know, spirituality is, is having a bunch of crystals and manifestation and like, you know, all these like really beautiful parts of spirituality, which is valuable. Um, but we, I think it starts creating a paradigm that spirituality looks a specific way. And when I was working with these people, they didn't, they didn't have crystals. They weren't burning incense. They weren't doing any of these more new age spirituality, um, spiritual things. 
and their level of self-awareness, their self-introspection, their courage, their humility, their compassion. You know, the I was watching a video this morning of some of the main qualities that are embodied by spiritual practitioner, practitioners, and it was like compassion and humility, empathy, all these like beautiful personality qualities that really, all it really boils down to is being able to see outside of yourself, being able to see, recognize and feel the pain of others and well wish, you know, want better for other people, want to serve other people and uplift them. And this was all I saw. All the clients that I saw embodied these qualities. And to me, the spiritual path and the spiritual practice, what it's all about is associating less with our ego and being able to see our connection with the universal. And these were people who would do anything for their family and their community and the people around them. And they, um, it was just a very, very beautiful experience. And I feel so much gratitude and respect for every single client that I worked with. Um, I know that didn't really answer your question. No, I mean, it's, it's so fascinating. It makes me think like, how do people overcome that? How do people overcome such just extreme horrific circumstances and, and what, what qualities in them do you see uh, kind of accommodating them in that journey? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, it's interesting because faith was a huge thing, but it wasn't necessarily like faith in the universal divine. It was like faith in, in their religion, you know, whatever religion it was for them, because I worked with people from all over the world. So we would have people who had different belief systems. So having faith in their God and, and prayer and whatever daily ritual that was for them. And also having their community, having people to rely on, it gives a profound sense of purpose. And the other amazing thing that I saw was they would get to the United States after having, again, really, really horrible experiences, and they would want to serve the community. They would want to do something for the people around them. And so they could get involved with a church. They could get involved with like I, I know one guy was like doing like recycling stuff. Um, once they learn English, teaching other people English as well. And so having this connection to service and assistance also really helped keep people inspired and gave them again, a, a big sense of purpose. But again, like the resiliency and the forward focus, I think, you know, what can they do next to build and grow? It was so rare that I met someone who fell into a space where they didn't feel like doing anything. I mean, these people wanted to continuously do more and achieve more and just help their life flourish. Like they were so invested towards a better life and, and a better way of being. And again, it's just like, it's so funny because for me, it's like I could have a bad day and fall into a depression, and not feel like doing anything. And then I, I was working with people who had experienced way worse than anything I would ever experience. And they're like, all right, I'm going to wake up at six. I'm going to go to work and then I'm going to go to ESL. I'm going to. So the, the drive and the passion was phenomenal. 
Wow. Yeah, that's that's really inspiring and kind of incredible. And it makes me think of Man's Search for Meaning, that book by Viktor Frankl yes. a little bit, right? And and how important meaning is in overcoming these horrible circumstances. And I'm curious, were you able to talk to, like, did you get to look at anyone's chart and kind of work with them through that lens or were you not able to? So just because of like confidentiality, I really want to respect people's privacy. And when you talk to people from other countries, a lot of the time, like they would think that I was doing like some religious witchcraft. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I tried to be respectful of that. Um, Which is funny because in the Bible, I think the first there's like in, in it talks about looking to the stars or, or reading the stars or something like right, right away. So astrology is, is, is pretty fundamental to most wisdom traditions. Yeah. Well, and, and the three wise men following the stars. It's, it's exactly. all throughout the Bible for sure. Um, the one thing though that I do want to mention is that as I was working as a social worker, I was also working as an astrologer and people, I don't know how people figured out what I was doing. Maybe I mentioned it on my podcast at some point, but they'd be like, man, like, I don't want to complain. It's 10 Oh eight, by the way, not because I'm worried about time. It's just an auspicious number. But, um, they would be like, man, like I, I hear about what you do and I don't want to complain. And something that I learned through this process is that suffering is suffering. And despite what you've experienced, it could be something like horrible and traumatic. It could be something that happened in your day and it upset you. It could be ha- something that happened with your parents. It doesn't matter what you experience. If something brought you dis-ease and create sadness or depression, it's completely 100% valid and deserves empathy and love and compassion. Yeah, this is really important. And, you know, I think that this is a good bridging point into your work with the Gottman Institute and with um, relationships, both romantic and and interpersonal friends, anything, anytime two humans or more are together, uh, we have to develop certain skills that maybe we didn't learn from our parents. We have to develop certain skills to actually have the other person feel understood, feel heard, feel safe. And, you know, one, one of those is to not compare and not judge someone else's suffering based off of our own or our own experience Mm -hmm. and not compare. And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about that because, you know, you're a life coach, you, you've done the Gottman stuff, you've done social work, you're an astrologer, you're a yoga teacher, you're studying Ayurveda, like you have all these tools that you can, that you can use. And I'm curious, what, what is your perspective on, on the relationship side of things? Because it is sort of the kernel of society. Yeah. Relationships are one of my favorite things to talk about. And it's so, it's such an incredibly important topic because as you just mentioned, relationships are happening everywhere all the time. And something that's so important to keep in mind is that the most important relationship is the relationship that we're going to have with ourselves. And so when we're talking about relationship and having success in connection or relationship outside of ourselves, it's going to be paramount that we have a really, really firm connection, understanding and intimacy with ourselves. And with that journey, I think comes the empathy and understanding for other people. If we're doing things like coaching or looking even at our Vedic astrology chart, um, counseling, we're learning about ourselves. Okay. I have these triggers. I have these triggers and I know how I developed them. I know they're irrational. I'm going to do what I can to create a new neural pathway and not let it influence my, my relationships with myself or others in the future. 
But again, it's like that, that journey in and of itself, the introspection required and the dedication and commitment required to look at yourself deeply, because it can be a really scary thing to look inside of yourself and see some of these less savory qualities and see the source of them. You know, and then we have to unpack where they came from and the people who helped create them in our lives and then finding compassion and forgiveness for them. It's a mess and it's a journey and it's the most beautiful journey we'll ever do. Mm. And as we move through that, I think that naturally we gain compassion and appreciation for other people and on their journey, patience on their journey and appreciation and respect because we're like, man, this is hard work. Being a person is hard. Developing self-awareness is hard. Healing is hard. And just being a person in general is when I bring somebody else into my orbit, I'm going to continue working as hard as I possibly can to make myself sound so that I'm not bringing all of my crap into our connection. And I really hope that they're doing the same, Mm -hmm. you know, and so it's really our responsibility to take care of ourselves and then kind of uh, collaborate to create the most harmonious shared experience possible. Is that helpful? It is helpful. And, you know, maybe we could talk about the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse uh, a little bit and, and like, what are some of the things that erode connection? So, you know, and to reflect back what I heard from you, it's, it's first inner relationship, knowing my stuff, knowing where I get activated or, or like my nervous system gets activated and I get triggered knowing what I need, knowing what my boundaries are, knowing that about myself, loving myself, having my back, that is going to equip me when I go into relationship to handle things better. I think oftentimes we get into relationship expecting that the other person is going to love us, respect our boundaries, know our needs, all that stuff. And and really, no one has a user manual to us. We have the user manual or we have to write it and give it to someone. And so the Gottmans talk about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Maybe we could jam on that for a bit because I think with COVID, with lockdown, couples are tighter than ever in the positive light, but in the negative light, there is a rise of intimate partner violence. There's a rise of breakups. There's a rise of divorce, which is also okay. And it's part of that natural process. But if we can identify the four horsemen, we can kind of get a quick assessment of, of how our relationships are doing. And this isn't just for romantic partnerships. This is any any intimate relationship that you want to deepen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like, let's establish the four horsemen first. And I actually may need your help because I was thinking, and I was like, oh my God, one of them is slipping my mind. It's stonewalling, defensiveness, contempt. And what's the last one? Criticism? Sto- yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> you have <laughs> Should have figured this out. Four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, you, you were right. So it okay. is, um, oh, I just got a whole bunch of uh, biblical stuff when I searched it because obviously. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm fairly confident stonewalling defensiveness, contempt and criticism. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> yep. Criticism, contempt, defensiveness and stonewalling. Okay. Sweet. Got it confirmed. Whew. But um, yeah. And so what you were saying though, was super important about how we're kind of in this period of our life where our intimate partnerships are even more intimate than they have been for the good and for the bad. And, you know, and I was listening to your podcast, that amazing podcast with Marlene, um, Dr. Marlene. Okay. 
Dr. Marlene. And she was discussing how this has been a really, really bad experience for some people who have been locked at home. And so I do just want to acknowledge that right now for the people who are listening. Um, we understand just how difficult it can be. I just want to give name to that. Yeah, and and for some other people listening, this may have been a phenomenal experience where it's been so much fun to be with their person and learning maybe new skills together or spending all this time together. And rather we're in um, more, a more negative space with someone, again, of course, excluding some really, really um, extreme circumstances. Or if we're in a positive experience with someone, we can always do better and we can always create um, a more beneficial way of communication and acknowledgement. And it's just an, an ever expanding growth cycle. Like we said at the beginning, we're constantly learning. We're constantly integrating new ways of enhancing our relationship with ourselves and the people around us. And so stonewalling is when we completely shut down, you know, and I think that this is something where we can see this in intimate partnerships and we can also see it with our friendships or even people at work. It's like we get flooded and we don't know how to engage. And stonewalling is one of those situations where it takes a lot for both parties. You know, it's going to take a lot of understanding with each other, because we may have one person who stonewalls and shuts down and gets flooded and needs space while the other person is like wanting to repair right away, wanting to communicate. Maybe they get reactive because they feel like they're getting shut out. And so I think that just highlighting that it can bring name, you know, in relationship, if anyone has experienced this, where one partner is going to need a little bit more space, one partner is going to feel like they need a lot of attention right away or need to repair right away. And First of all, for the person who is doing the stonewalling, I think it's important to learn how to communicate what you need in that moment in a compassionate way. Like, hey, I'm flooded. Can I have some space? I'm not going anywhere, but I'm going to need to take a day by myself. Because when you vocalize it that way, you're giving your partner who may have a more anxiously attached style of being, you're saying you're giving them the security, you're giving them a time to expect it. You're not telling them that you're going to leave them and you're telling them what you need. And being able to ask for what you need is going to be super important if you're someone who is prone to stonewalling. That's a because huge, huge point. And let's define stonewalling real quick. Like, okay. my, my understanding is uh, it, it is a retreat. So in my nervous system, I feel attacked. I feel scared. I feel angry. I feel flooded. Flooded being my, I'm triggered. My amygdala is activated. I am not fully in my prefrontal cortex. I'm not like making the most logical decisions. If I can notice that I can communicate it. But what happens is I might just stone, you know, stone cold face. I might not make any outward sign. I might try and go. I might ignore, cold, you know, the cold shoulder. Uh, would you add anything to stonewalling? Yeah, it, it does look different for different people as well. And so something through the Gottman Institute that they were discussing is that for men, Typically, and again, this is a very general, I understand men and women and identification, all of that. This was just what I learned through the Gottman Institute in a general way. Men will generally shut down, avoid eye contact and kind of like turn away. And mm -hmm. they're like, look, I'm like literally leaving this situation. Mm -hmm. And for women, because of the way that they've been socialized, yeah, <laughs> they don't feel that they have the permission to turn away. Mm. So they'll maintain eye contact and then just... Mm. 
actually be a cold stone check wall. out they're gone right. but they'll they'll sit there and look at you so whenever you see that deadpan expression come and then someone just kind of staring at you blankly there is a part of them emotionally and mentally that's checked out they need a timeout trying to engage with them past that it's just going to continue to flood them more than likely you can ask them but it'll probably continue to flood them and make things worse. So a lot of the time, just giving room to breathe and giving some space is going to be really helpful. Um, but, you know, it's always going to vary person to person and, and what their needs are in that moment. But I do think that a lot of the time stonewalling is happening because there is a lack of understanding and, mm -hmm. and the communication is just um, not ideal. Yeah. So you, you express that, we need to know, we need to have the mindfulness to know that we're feeling shut down. Mm -hmm. Then we need to have the ability to communicate what our, what our needs are. And we have to do that in a way that works for the other person. So you mentioned, hey, I'm feeling flooded. I need to take some space and maybe I need to take a day. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not leaving the relationship. I just need to calm myself. You know, like you, you give some love, some reassurance, some something from yourself to their self. Mm -hmm. while you also take care of, of yourself because it's okay to be flooded. It's okay to not want to talk to another person. It's okay to go take space. But in a, in a couple or in a friendship, there is a third entity that forms, which is the, the relationship. And that has to be cared for, which means just because I'm fried doesn't mean I can just like abandon that connection. I need to communicate that respectfully in a way that works for the other person's nervous system. Yeah. And, and they need to feel safe in doing that. So the other person is going to have a practice because some people who are highly anxious and, and have a lot of uh, more like hot reactivity, it's going to be really, really difficult. Even if their partner does all of those things, mm -hmm. they can then be like, no, 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 no. I need this, 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 this. And so it's a practice for them as well to be like, listen, I hear what you're saying. I'm going to trust that this is true and I'm going to allow you to have space, mm -hmm. you know? So it really is. It's always a two party. It's always two people's responsibility to make things work. So that's stonewalling. Mm -hmm. And I a hundred percent agree. It's like a hundred, a hundred percent. Each person a hundred percent puts in it's it, yeah, taking full responsibility. So stonewalling, let's talk about criticism. Criticism. Criticism is crazy because we can criticize people without realizing we're criticizing them. <laughs> like it can become just sometimes people, especially all you Virgos out there, right? Sometimes they think that they're just helping. Like they're like, okay, I, I see a way that this can be improved. I know this person can do better. So I'm going to tell them how they can improve and do better. And they don't know that they're criticizing, but it can come off as criticism. So that is one thing to be mindful of. And then the other thing is, I mean, there can be the outward criticism too, where something may not be done the way that we want it to be done. And we have these expectations that things should be a certain way because that's the way that we see it. And that's the way we believe it should be done. And when we're staying in that space, this is when like consciousness comes in, right? When we're staying in that space, we're staying locked in our own pers perspective and our own experience. We're not leaving room for there to be another way of being. And so I think that when we can expand our consciousness and be like, oh, for this person, maybe they prefer it to be this way. Maybe this is the better way of doing things. Why does my way have to be the right way? You know, so I think that mindfulness and, and self-realization can really come in handy when it comes to things like criticism and relationship in general. But um, mm -hmm. when overcoming criticism, I think that what is really important is giving people grace 
And when they do something well, acknowledging what it is that they did well and praising them for that and then just letting it be, you know, or for yourself, if you're used to getting criticized and then your partner comes and they're like, wow, thank you so much for doing things this way. Like, I really appreciate it. I see that you did X, Y, and Z. You have to give them space to praise you because sometimes if people have experienced a hardship in their life for whatever reason, their immediate response may be, well, I've always done it this way. I've always done it this way. You just never acknowledged me. And then you fall right back into that loop. So you have to be ready to be like, okay, I hear this person is praising me for this thing. I'm going to collaborate with them and accept that. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's super important to, to reinforce the, yeah. the positive behavior because uh, there's like a five to one ratio. The negative feedback registers so high in our brain that it takes almost like five positive things to overwrite or to balance actually not over not even overwrite probably takes like 10 it takes like five things to balance out the weight of a negative comment so in relationship uh you leave your plate out uh you leave your clothes everywhere uh, all these things it's like if i go with that it's not going to go through their nervous system their amygdala gets fired where i mean not everyone but for the most part and if i can add some some, Hey, I see how much you're cleaning the house. I see how much you're working for the kids. I see how much you're, you know, and, and is there any way that you'd be willing to, you know, soak your dish? <laughs> and by the way, you look beautiful today, you yeah. know, like, you know, five to one. So having, when, when critic when criticizing, it can also be looked at, I think one of the, sh- the cheat sheets says like gentle startup. So like yeah, yeah, go ahead, please share, no, share no, what that please, means. No, go. I'm I just, I'm here well, to learn. J- j- <laughs> just the idea that um, we want to set a container for our criticism, which also could be called feedback. And feedback, I love this book. Thanks for the mm-hmm. feedback. Feedback is really, really powerful. So, how, you know, what is gentle startup? Yeah. So the way that I was taught, and I mean, I don't, I'm not sure if if you learned it in a different way. The way that I was taught was like a soft startup. That's what I've read and have been told because I actually was lucky enough to work with a Gottman therapist for a while too, which was an amazing experience. Yeah. So, so, so amazing. And so the soft startup is so important because it's, as you mentioned, understanding the brain is really, really helpful. And once that amygdala is off, it's like, you know, you're going to fall into a certain state of arousal. And so if we can just avoid that happening, it's going to avoid a lot of controversy. And soft startup is a non-threatening way to express maybe a little bit of dissatisfaction, right? And so like with the plate thing, it's like, baby, Mm. I see you left your plate out. I'm going to wash it for you. But maybe next time, you know, like just for the first few times trying to be kind of playful, you know, and then if they don't get it, maybe like, hey, babe, I've been washing your plate. I'm going to leave it here to see how long it's like stays out. So I think that there's like an element of being soft and being playful that can kind of try to get your partner to get the point. Of course, after a while, if you're using the soft startup, if you're using play, they're still leaving it out. You might just have to be like, look, <laughs> I really need you. I'm going to lock you out of the house if you don't wash your dishes. <laughs> yeah. No, it, what, what you just gave there, I just want to highlight because I think it is that is a super actionable tip for everyone is adding baby to the beginning or end of your sentence or request it's like magical. that sounds simple. It's magical or love or my darling, whatever. Just it it it, uh, it hones 
it, it dulls the blade, the sharpness of whatever you're trying to say. And it, it reminds you and them of love. Yeah. I had a teacher, um, Shelly Washington. She's the wife of David Swenson. Oh, wow. And whenever she would come over to adjust you in a posture, if she had a criticism about your posture, she'd say, love of my life. What is this? <laughs> I loved it. I was like, even if I was doing something she didn't like, I was like, I'm the love of her life. That is sweet. That is so yeah. sweet. So, okay, moving on to, um, we got stonewalling. We talked about cr- criticism. Mm-hmm. What What's next? What do we got? Well, contempt is the ugliest one. Let's talk about contempt because I think contempt is probably one of the most eroding, damaging things that can yeah. happen. Yeah, and and in the Gottman um, method, contempt is one of is one of the hardest things to come back from. Yeah. Um, and so it's I don't think it, it's not impossible to come back from. It's just really difficult once it's there because it has eroded the respect and the appreciation. Because with contempt, it's it is essentially coming from a deep rooted space of disrespect and disappreciation. And so it's it's saying really, it's like. Eye rolling times a thousand, you know, and saying things like um, that are disrespectful and harmful to the other's character. I'm trying to think of some examples. I try not to think in, in a contempt. Look, looking down, okay. looking it, what you touched on is is really true. It's the respect piece, right? And looking down on our partner, looking kind of making faces of disgust, even sarcasm, which I'm very guilty of in. Same. In my in my past partnership, sarcasm is a form of contempt. It's sort of like this false facade thing, and it's really kind of meant to to be higher than. And uh, it 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 just hurts. It hurts both people. And the point about having it be difficult to come back from, it's true. You have to build respect with someone, and that is going to take behavior. That's going to take a very conscious work in order to do. So I think that's a really important point. Is like if if you see yourself being contemptuous towards your partner, you are not helping yourself. You're hurting yourself. What to speak of them. Right. What was the last thing you said, Kaylee? I'm sorry. Uh, just that if, if we are being contempt, if we find ourselves eye rolling, you know, being saying contemptuous things to our partner, we're not helping ourselves. We are hurting our, our own inner connection with that person. And right. there's a better way to go about handling it. Right. And, and I think that again, it's like weaving some mindfulness and, and self-realization into this is it's like, we're losing the humanity. Like we're losing mm-hmm. appreciation for their essence and how this person is and how they carry themselves through their lives and the positive things that they do, the positive things that they contribute to the relationship and to society. And that's, what's interesting too, is that sometimes we can feel contempt towards someone and disrespect And a lot of the time that's coming from a place of hurt and it's coming from a place of feeling misunderstood or coming from a place of mistrust and fear, you know? And so when we can really confront those things within ourselves and try to rebuild and reestablish trust with that person and, and see the good things that they're contributing, it can really heal the relationship, but it's also going to heal ourselves and how we view each other. And, you know, sometimes relationships need to end. Sometimes there's a partner who has a lot of contempt. They're constantly saying things that are detrimental to the relationship. They're constantly saying things that are detrimental to you. You know, especially like narcissistic relationships can have a lot of uh, contemptuous dialogue. Um, And it, 
it requires two people. That's what I want to emphasize is you can be listening to this podcast and be thinking of so many things you can bring into the relationship. And that's fabulous. 100%. I think that you should do that. And you also deserve to be with someone who has this level of awareness and wants to reciprocate. Because if you hear, if you hear these ideas around contempt and you're like, Oh, like I do that too. Oh my gosh. And then you actively try, um, not to communicate with contempt. First of all, that's wonderful. Second of all, watch how it is reciprocated. And if you're in a relationship where you're continuously disrespectful and beat down, you might want to take a look at that. You know, I'm always for relationship repair. That's always like my number one thing is trying to repair the relationship with people. And sometimes it's better off to break up. It's a hard line for people to, to find. It's a line that everyone has to figure out. And I'm I'm trying to think of how I could give some words of like guidance on there, but I think it's such an intense personal journey to discover what what you're willing to put up with or not. But I think one thing to get clear on is your needs, and it's actually a really confronting thing. What are your non-negotiable needs? Mm-hmm. And and figuring that out will help with a guide map or like a, a some sort of framework for what is okay. So yeah, if if you're if you're putting in and the other person isn't, it's not necessarily a sign to like give up, uh, but with the gentle or the soft startup with giving that feedback of, Hey, this is something I need. I need to, I need to feel like there's not contempt because I care about our relationship so much. And I know here's this fancy article from the Gottman's about contempt. Check it out. Mm-hmm. I know that this hurts us and I don't want that. Mm-hmm. So are you willing to work with me on that? If, mm-hmm. if after lots of negotiation, they're still not willing, you, you can't, you can't work with someone who's not willing to work with you. Right, right. And and for people who are listening, looking up the Gottman Soundhouse, the Gottman Relationship Soundhouse, it shows how to construct a steady soundhouse for the relationship. And so maybe orienting your thoughts on things like that. Maybe we can talk about that after we discuss defensiveness. Which... Yeah, let's talk let's talk about <laughs> defensiveness. And I think, you know, Christine and I are talking about we're in negotiations about uh potential collaborations to talk more about this stuff because it's something we're both really passionate about. So if that's something you're interested in, please follow astrology now underscore podcast. Please follow me at the podcast farm on Instagram. Let us know, slide into the DM, say, talk more about relationships. Okay. Yeah. So defensiveness, what, what, what do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not defensive. You're defensive. I'm really defensive for real though. (laughs) I'm not even joking. I'm not, I'm not even joking. And I owe my former partner, uh, a lot of credit for teaching me about my defensiveness. So what, 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 why is defensiveness a problem? Defensiveness is a problem because it shuts down the potential of growth. Because a lot of the time, if someone is coming to us with a reflection and it's something that we don't necessarily want to see, of course, we might feel defensive about it. And we might want to defend ourselves if we feel like it's a personal attack on our character. But a lot of the time when people have feedback, they're just trying to get us to see that the way we're acting, what we're saying, how we're being is having a certain impact on them. It's having a certain effect on them. And that isn't something that is completely irreparable. That is something that can be looked at and approached and worked through if we're willing to look at the feedback we're getting, which would require us not to be defensive. Again, it's like, if you come to me and you say, Hey, Christine, like the words that you're using are really hurting me. I could choose to say, well, you're just too sensitive. I I'm, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm mindful. You know, I'm a yoga teacher. I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or I could choose to slow down and be like, Oh, 
how, how are my words hurting you? What's going on? You know, can, can you tell me more about, um, what the exact words that I'm saying, how you interpret it, where it's coming from for me, feedback is always an opportunity of growth. It's an opportunity for reflection. I'm not perfect at it. I can totally get defensive. I think it's so human to have defensive moments. I think that what's important is being able to stop it, realize what's going on and take that opportunity for reflection so that ultimately we can grow. Um, did that answer your question? Is yeah. It- yeah. And so I want to talk about this idea of, of de- being defensive is a is a triggered response to feedback. And so again, mm-hmm. check out this book. I'm not sponsored by them. I just want to help you all. Thanks for the feedback, the science and art of receiving feedback. Well, even when it's off base, unfair, poorly delivered, and frankly, you're not in the mood. And it's by Douglas Stone and Sheila Heen. And they are of the Harvard Negotiation Project. So they're lawyers, actually, and they they know about law and language. And it's super, yeah, it's super interesting lens to look at relationships on uh, both in the workplace and, and at, at home. But feedback triggers us and we have different trigger responses. And it's a survival mechanism because it's sort of like, do we need to change our course in life? Are we in danger? So our amygdala gets triggered when feedback happens because we take it personally. We also make assumptions that we understand what their words mean exactly and that they relate to our worth and our value and all that. Um, so I'm, what I'm hearing is that curiosity is important. Is that is that one of the things you're saying is that kind of having asking questions, having that learning attitude is, is an antidote for the defensiveness? I would say 100%. I think that curiosity can do so much to mitigate um, the negative defensive behavior. What you said though was super important in that most of the time we get defensive because we are trying to protect our identity, you know, and, and who we think we are. We want to stay, we want to believe that we are a certain way and maybe we uphold certain ideals. And just because somebody is giving us feedback that may not be in alignment with those ideals we're trying to uphold, it's not an attack on our character. You know, so not taking things personally is going to be profoundly important, but it is a very, very difficult thing for people to do. Yes. yes. It's incredibly difficult. And why? Why is it so hard? Because I believe, I mean, what you mentioned, it's a threat, you know, Mm -hmm. it is a threat to our character. It's a threat to the ideals that we uphold and it's a survival technique. Um, And also taking it a few steps further is it could also be a childhood trigger response of being like, what if I'm left? Like, what if this person leaves me because they think this thing about me or, or what if I get deserted because they think I don't clean the dishes well enough or, you know, because it gets into that part of our brain that goes back. It's not, you know, defensiveness isn't coming from who you and I are right here in this moment as adults. Defensiveness is coming from a three-year-old inside of us that's terrified of upsetting our caregiver. If we upset our caregiver, we could potentially be abandoned and abandonment means death. All of these fears that we have, if we trace them back far enough, it goes back to death, you know? So that's why these responses are so intense and so real. And it's happening completely beneath the surface. It's a completely subconscious response. I'm really, really glad you mentioned the the childhood piece. And I, you know, brothers out there listening uh, or those identifying as male, uh, I feel that 
that we as men we stake our worth in our in our rightness if we're right that means our value is acknowledged and we are giving value and um, I definitely relate to that idea of being left if I'm wrong or in trouble like deeply in trouble if I'm wrong so without which is why it's so important in our relationships with young people how we see them and be with them when they mess up and when they do stuff so that we aren't creating more defensive people we don't need more defensive people. We need more open people. We need more communication. We don't need more walls. And so I, I think that's really important that you brought that up. And also, I just want to be cognizant of time as yeah. we are we are getting here. Do you have another appointment right now? No. Okay. Do, are you okay if we go over a little? Yeah, of course. Okay, cool. So, so yeah, I think that the that one antidote is to understand why their feedback is going to help you as as a human being grow. And if you can get that piece, then it becomes way less uncomfortable. I, I just spe- I'm speaking for myself. I am a defensive person. I really care about being right. I really don't want to be wrong. And I've had to get more comfortable with that feeling in my body when I am triggered and I feel defensive reading this book that I've recommended, it it breaks down the different triggers that happen, the different ways to organize feedback when it comes in, the different questions to ask. It gives scripts, you know, it, it really breaks it down. And I think it, it's, it, it's in tandem with mindfulness and meditation and having actual hard tools and resources that you can bring out and use in the moment when you're triggered. So I think having, having both of those uh, is really essential for learning. And then even the question, you know, can you admit to being defensive right now, asking your partner something like that kind of helps pull them out of the moment and be like, yeah, okay, I can admit I'm being defensive. And and I think that's helpful as well as what I think you mentioned this other day, which is like, how old do you feel right now? What part, you know, what's the age of the part of you that's speaking? And yeah. that can also kind of help bring us back into the present. Wow. Yeah. Inner child work is so powerful. Um, and that is, that's the primary therapy that I do personally, like with my therapist is inner child work. Um, and so I, I think that understanding like the age of what we're experiencing is so important. And tre- <laughs> I actually got this from one of my past partners as well, is it's treating people who are triggered, not in a condescending way, but treating people who are triggered like their children, like from a space of love. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, like I I see you're triggered. What can we do to make this better? You know, like, what do you need right now? How can we make this more comfortable? You know, it's not like shut up brat. You know, I don't, I don't want to hear it. Like that's the worst way to handle handle a child who is triggered. So understanding that for you yourself, when you're triggered, it's, it's not a mature loving adult response. It's a wounded child response. And so you have to tend to yourself in a way that feels loving and gentle and compassionate. And when we get used to tending to ourselves that way, again, it becomes so much easier to tend to other people that way. And like, oh, like your wounded child is hurting. Okay. Like, do you need time? Do you need um, space? Do you need to cuddle? You know, like what, what do you need? Um, And so it makes it easier. And there was something else that you said that I really wanted to touch on that was so important. Take your time. Yeah. You, I mean, you said so many amazing things just then. Uh, the How old do you feel? And then I was uh, the feedback, taking feedback, uh, the triggers, having scripts. Yes. yes. So this is also where mindfulness and self-realization becomes such a powerful key because the less that you identify with your ego and the less that you identify with this concept of you being right and there being one objective truth, how many objective truths are there? There's like 
very, very little, (laughs) not many. Most of the truths of our reality are completely subjective and from our individual perspective. And so when we get really, really clear on that and we stop identifying with my name is Christine, I am ethical, I'm virtuous, I'm not defensive, I'm not blah, 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 all these things that I want to create about this ego, you know, I, I can separate myself from that. And if someone's like, Christine, like, you're kind of being mean. There could be a part of me that's like, there's no way I'm being mean. I practice yoga. I meditate every day. I read these scriptures. That's not a mean person. I could choose to do that and then stay locked in this identity that I'm creating for myself. Or I could be like, oh, how am I being mean? What's going on? How can give me more information so that I can do better to actually be that person I want to be? Yes. Yes. And that is uh, like a helpful term for me is personhood versus behavior. Mm -hmm. Or like you're talking earlier about not attacking people's character. So Mm -hmm. we can separate out, okay, my behavior is causing this person to give me this feedback. Doesn't mean that my personhood, my character is flawed, that I am a unworthy person or, you know. Yeah. And and I think that it requires that again with both people, if if we can really understand that and integrate that, because once we communicate with each other, it's different too. It's like, if you do something wrong and I'm coming to you from a place of understanding that your personhood isn't that way, I can be like, Kaylee, like what's going on, man? Like you're not usually this way. Like what's, how's, how are you, like, where's this behavior coming from? Because then it's also acknowledging like, Hey, I know you're a good person. I know that you're filled with love. Like, where is this coming from? You know, it it changes the dynamic and the communication. Um, And the other thing that's super important is that our intimate relationships and our partners are an incredibly valuable tool because they are going to be able to mirror and reflect things to us that nobody else on earth gets to see because our intimate partners are the ones lucky enough to be able to trigger those really deep responses that nobody else can touch. So they're going to get to see those really deep parts of ourselves that come up. And it's so valuable to listen and hear what they have to say because a a lot of other people aren't going to be able to see that. Yeah, this is the new model of partnership in the 21st century is is mm-hmm. their greatest friend, ally, reflector and relationship is a path, it's a crucible, it's it's a transform transformative process especially if we choose to see it that way. And we get in as much as we put out and uh, or we put it we get out as much as we put in. And uh, I think that is just amazing info that that you've shared. So those are the four horsemen. If you're interested in that, highly recommend checking out any of the Gottman's work. And I highly recommend going to therelationshipschool.com, listening to the Relationship School podcast. Uh, Jason Gaddis is doing incredible work combining all folks like the Gottman's, like Esther Perel, like um, just an- anyone you, you can name in the relationship space, Stan Tatkin. putting all that information together and teaching people how to do conflict well, how to do relationship well. Mm -hmm. So a little plug there for my mentor, Jason, because he's incredible and he's really transformed my life. And so as we're getting towards the tail end of our amazing interview, it's been so fantastic to have you. I did want to touch on a more kind of practical element of your media empire, which is Patreon and membership sites. And I know that's like a, a, it could seem like a, hard switch in our conversation. But what you're doing with Patreon is you've built all these relationships with your audience and you have monetized your podcast by having some of your content behind a paywall. And I think it's a it's a great strategy for new, for newer podcasters. It's an alternative to sponsorships and it's actually probably increases engagement. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how that started, 
uh, any advice for for podcasters trying to implement a more like membership based model? Sure. So with my Patreon account, it's patreon.com slash astrology now podcast. And I post two other podcasts a week. Um, one of them is where I do weekly horoscopes for each of the 12 zodiac signs every Monday. So if you're wanting to plan your week in accordance to the stars and how they're impacting you individually, I do that every Monday. And then on Thursday, I post an educational class. Um, it is a little bit of a higher tier for that one. But if you're interested in learning astrology, I do that too. I also have classes and a patron social. Um, I really did create it with the intention of creating community. And what you said was really important is that building relationships with these people. And it's absolutely phenomenal. I feel so grateful and so humble. Like there are some people on the Patreon page who are doing such amazing, incredible, beautiful things with their lives. And I just feel grateful to have them, um, have their presence. So if you're listening to this as a patron member, just please, um, know that I have so much immense appreciation and respect for you. And for other people who are looking to start a Patreon account, it's similar to to what I said with the podcast is that you should really just go ahead and do it. And a lot of the time you can create a Patreon account just so that you get donations. And if people like your work, they'll subscribe to your Patreon account and maybe you can do something once a month. You can do something every week just to give them something in return. But a lot of the time people will love to sponsor you because you're offering them something for free, you know, and they want to sponsor your work. I've seen a lot of people, I've seen a lot of professionals do that. And if you are looking to produce more content and have more content behind that paywall, like you were discussing, what I will say is, be very careful with how you price things on Patreon because once you have someone subscribe to a tier, you can't change that number. So be really mindful and make sure that you are getting what you're worth. And you and I have spoken about this, Kaylee, in terms of having like, what is it? Sustainable outreach. Is that what you called it? Uh, maybe. Okay. So, because I mean, no matter what you're doing, if you're a healer, if you're someone who is trying to serve the world and you're trying to do good things, you still absolutely need to be um, reciprocated for, for the work that you're doing and the effort that you're putting in. So don't have shame in wanting to create a Patreon. Don't have shame for wanting to get paid for what you're doing. It's really important that you have uh, wealth to sustain you. And I mean, even looking at, at it, looking at it from a Vedantic standpoint, and you all probably hear me talk about this all the time, there is a concept where we have to have wealth so that we can fulfill our dharma, our purpose in life, and reach higher states of uh, self-realization and awareness. So money is absolutely necessary and important. And I just really encourage people to ask for what they're worth and be uh, re- have that reciprocation. I hope yeah, that was helpful. That is super helpful. And so just to break it down a little bit farther, a podcaster is putting out all this, all these regular episodes. They can create an account and nothing more than just create an account and that could encourage donations. And then beyond that, they could create a simple three-tier, just as an example, you could create a three or more tier offering. So for $5, and I'm looking on your site, for $5, you get this package. Maybe that is like some private content that no one else gets, or maybe that's just open. Then you have another tier, maybe like $12 a month. And that's another level of offering. You, you Maybe you do uh, a weekly personal message, or maybe you do another extra episode a month and put it out through there, whatever. And then it goes on and, and so forth. And you're also mentioning to be mindful of setting the a proper price 
mm-hmm. for that work so that you can sustain it because you can't change it once it's there. So you, you don't want to lose any of your patron patrons patrons because of that. Is that is that correct? Yeah, it is. And you know, you can always change things in the future. Like you can always create another tier and then unpublish one. So it's not like an impossible thing to navigate. Just be careful with pricing if you're making a Patreon page. Like get yeah. really clear about it. Yeah, that makes total sense. And and just the the gratitude and the building that relationship I'm really hearing from you about how excuse me, about how you feel towards your patron patrons and how you interact with them. Any tips on on cultivating that relationship with your listeners to get them on Patreon? Sure. Well, to get them on Patreon, um, I don't, you know, I mean, I may communicate with people on Instagram. I may send people private messages or respond to their questions. I'm always trying to connect with people in that way. Um, I also will take questions through email and then answer them either through Instagram or through, um, through the podcast. So those are things that I've done before as well, just to increase some engagement. And I have found though, another way of doing it is that once people are patrons, first of all, I have the patron social. So once a month we get together and we actually talk face to face and I have a relationship with these individuals who show up. And the other thing is that I do a patron spotlight where I interview a patron about their life and their quest with astrology and and self-realization. And then I'll post it. And then I talk about that on the public platform and be like talking about the relationships or, or the patron spotlight so that people know like, Hey, this is actually a place where community is building. It's, it's not like I disappear from the planet. I'm very engaged with the patron members, um, always commenting back to their responses, always in communication with them. And I think that if someone has that engagement on on Patreon and they talk about it on their public platform, it is going to draw people in if they're searching for community. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so you, uh, how, I want to just cl- clarify for the listeners, how, what, what mechanism do you let people know that you have the Patreon? Through my public podcast. I'll do it at the beginning. And, and would you mind sharing like your framing of that offer? Sure. This is so much fun. I love podcast farm. It's like I get to talk about things I don't talk about with anybody else. <laughs> well, so we're all about we're all about marketing. We're all about sales. Yeah. We're all about service. We're all about amplifying what we love. And there is an element to the podcast platform and to to running these online businesses that is it's really fun. It is like a game. It's and it's also it's about communication. It's about relationships. It's like how do I make sure my message is coming across? And so it's so helpful when someone has a successful model that when they share it with others, because we can, we, we go off of data, you know, and everyone has to tune this up to themselves. But I think hearing kind of the way you phrase it will be really helpful for everyone. Yeah. And so the way that I phrase it is I'm like, look, like if you like this podcast, if you listen to it every week, I have a platform where I post at least one extra segment every week. So you'll get 50% more astrology now in your week. If you do one tier up, you know, that's two extra podcasts. That's three astrology now podcasts in your week, which is a lot of content, you know, but really how I approach it whenever I'm talking about it in the space is I have a Patreon account. I post more weekly. So if you want more in your week, you can go and find it on Patreon and I have weekly horoscopes. So if you're wanting to align your week with the stars and have astrological guidance weekly on Monday, I'm doing that on Patreon. So that's really what I emphasize because I think that that's 
a lot of value. You know, I, I talk about the value that I'm going to be contributing using my Patreon account. And for people who love astrology, they hear that and they're like, wow, I would love to, you know, live my week in accordance to astrology. It's something that is helpful. It's providing a service and it's just sharing what I can provide. So if you are interested in this, please go to patreon.com backslash astrology now podcast. You can also find Christine on at astrology now underscore podcast on Instagram. Uh, her website is inner yoga. And yeah, I mean, you have an amazing thing going on. You're doing so much uh, service for your community. You're giving people a lot of guidance and insight and you're mixing both the esoteric and the spiritual with some really grounded, practical psycho psychology, relationship, mm -hmm. attachment theory, life coaching, nutrition, all this grounded stuff, you're mixing it. And so Christine is one of the most remarkable coaches that I've seen on the scene right now, mixing all of these traditional ancient wisdom traditions with cutting edge science and, and social work. So please go follow her. Check out Astrology Now podcast. As we're winding up, I always ask my guests a couple rapid fire questions. Are you good with that? Can I ask you a couple rapid fire? <laughs> yes. I've just, I've been waiting. Okay. I'm ready for the rapid fire questions. Yeah, tell me, tell I've, me, tell I've me. I've been waiting to say this really quick though, Kaylee. Please. You are seriously one of the most sincere, genuine people I know. Like your heart is just so good and you ask such sincere questions that it's obvious that you really care about the people that you're interviewing and you really want to understand their perspective. And I just applaud you and respect you so much for constantly wanting to grow and expand and serve and uplift. It's just like, I know your um, your intentions are so good. And I, I'm just so relieved and refreshed with that every single time I talk to you. And it's just such a privilege to be on your podcast. And I really, really appreciate that. I feel so seen, respected, honored and, and loved. And just, I feel, I feel really good hearing that. Thank you so much for sharing that with me and really appreciate that. That's definitely my intention is to, um, give my presence to my guests and share beautiful, wonderful, knowledge and value with with the audience with anyone who comes across this podcast and to amplify what i love and i love the work that you're doing i love how you show up in life i've known you for many years and watching you in your collection of all these amazing tools and resources and knowledge and and combining it into the offering that you have now it's really exceptional and so again i just please go check out this wonderful souls uh online representation avatar go check it out interact with her podcast and her community. It's a, it's really amazing. And yeah. So, okay. Rapid fire questions. Here we go. What is your greatest fear? No, I'm joking. Joking. Oh my God. No, no, no. <laughs> that's not, that's not actually the question. The question is what is one book that you would like the entire world to know about? Wow. Polishing the mirror by Ram Dass totally transformed my life and it changed my view of death and then therefore my view of life. And so I highly recommend Polishing the Mirror by Ram Dass. Um, and I just have to give a plug for one of my very favorite people, James Braha. He has a book, Ancient Hindu Astrology for the Modern Western Astrologer. And I think it's a great resource to begin learning Vedic astrology. And he's so much fun. And so I just wanted to give him a shout out too. Amazing. Second rapid fire question. What is a podcast that you that you really love to listen to? 
Wisdom of the Sages is one that I listen to the most often with Raghunath and Kastuba. I listen, I try to listen every day. Sometimes I'll listen to two a day. And then I love Be On Air. Those are actually my two favorite podcasts. Oh, that means a lot. Thank you. Yeah, Wisdom of, Sage, of the Sages is a fantastic uh, daily devotional Vedic exploration with two incredible human beings. And they have guests and they are amazing. And uh, Raghunath was on Joe Rogan and shared some of the Vedic knowledge there. So he's really helping amplify some of these amazing truths from from India. So uh, then moving to our very last segment, is there anything that you would like to broadcast? This is a moment for you to amplify what you love and to have some airtime to just share with the world and anyone tuning in uh, something from your heart. So something that I've been thinking about recently is keeping our hearts open, even if we disagree. That's something that I've been thinking about a lot um, because we're in this point of time where there's a lot of division and there's a lot of controversy and people will completely cut others out of their life because of a disagreement on a belief. And I think that if we can really work to keep our hearts open in these conversations, it's going to do so much to change the environment and and change how we approach the world. So approaching each individual with respect, appreciation, and love, despite if they're totally on board with everything that we think is true. Because again, there, there is no, there, there are very, very few truths in this world that are 100% correct and that are objective. A lot of what we find to be true is filtered through our own perception and our own experience. And so really allowing there to be room for many things to be true or possible, I think is, is a really, really important thing to keep in mind right now. Yes. Yes. Beautifully said. And I would like to end on that note with a poem from Hafiz. Perfect. If God invited you to a party, if God invited you to a party and said, everyone in the ballroom tonight will be my special guest, how would you then treat them when you arrived? Mm -hmm. Indeed, indeed. And Hafiz knows there is no one in this world who is not upon his jeweled dance floor. So with that, Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for sharing everything that you've been working on. I'd love to have you on again. And everyone, please go uh, check out Astrology Now podcast. It will give you some serious next level upgrades to your business, professional, romantic life. And Christine, thank you. Have a beautiful, blessed day. Thank you, Kaylee. You too. Hariyam. Hariyam. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Be On Air. I hope you enjoyed it and are now one step closer to turning on your mic and broadcasting your message to the world. Are you ready to start your own podcast and amplify your brand? Or are you struggling to get your show in front of engaged audiences? I can help you on your broadcasting journey. Get in touch with me and apply for a strategy session if you want to discuss your podcast idea. You can reach me at www.podcast-farm.com. I'm on all the social media. Until next time, my friends, I'm Kaylee Marks. Thanks for tuning in to Be On Air.